First Person is produced in cooperation with the Far East Broadcasting Company, who rejoice in the stories of changed lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Learn more at febc.org. We can truly say we're, we're not materialistic. And we couldn't say that before. And we really don't value things anymore, you know, which is a, is a very, very liberating situation. It's a little hard to describe, especially to an American culture, but it's, it's very true. God called him to give up a successful medical practice and the good life his family had known to start a medical and humanitarian effort in one of the poorest nations of the world. Coming up, you'll meet Dr. David Vanderpool here on First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. So happy you've tuned into this week's interview, the latest in our series that highlights people who have given their lives to Christ and serve His kingdom purposes. For more about our program, look us up online at firstpersoninterview.com or facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. You can learn more about our guests there online. The founder of Live Beyond is our guest. Dr. David Vanderpool is an American surgeon who has been called by God to the country of Haiti, where they offer a variety of health and humanitarian services, all in the name of Christ. Even education and providing clean water is on the ministry agenda of Live Beyond. But the story of how it all began is a great one, and I asked Dr. Vanderpool what life was like for him and his family before they learned of the 2010 Haitian earthquake. You know, life was good. Uh, I had a practice, a surgical practice there in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, wonderful life. The, the kids were in a wonderful school. We had a great uh, neighborhood, lots of great friends, good church environment. Uh, you know, the worst thing that happened to us was uh, if our latte was cold as we went <laughs> to the coffee line, you know. And so uh, we're talking about a really nice, um, comfortable lifestyle. Yeah. And uh, that's, a, that's a thing that most of us in the United States are very accustomed to. Yes, we are. And I know that you were serving the Lord with your medical practice and you're even traveling in other parts of the world at that point. Were you on, on uh, short term trips? That's right. We had, uh, as when the children were, were young, uh, we had started uh, doing medical missions overseas. It was something that my wife and I uh, had as a goal throughout our life. We were actually junior high sweethearts, which is just an amazing thing. Uh, and so we discussed this in high school and college, uh, you know, that we wanted to be missionaries. Uh, you know, life happens, get married, get a mortgage, you know, have kids and and things become uh, a, a little more distant. You know, those memories become a little more distant. So we were very fortunate uh, to be able to serve uh, in medical field in the short term missions and uh, but uh, not not go whole hog until a little bit later, so yeah. to speak. So it was January of 2010 when that devastating earthquake happened in Haiti. Uh, tell me about that event and how it changed your life. Well, it was uh, it was a life changing event. We had been working in Mozambique and East Africa prior to that. Uh, we had started a nonprofit organization in 2005, actually in response to Katrina, uh, the the hurricane that devastated Mississippi and Louisiana. Um, but uh, and we've been working overseas in, in Mozambique and in actually in Honduras as well. 
and the uh, the news feed started talking about a tremendous earthquake in Haiti, centered in Port-au-Prince. And the images were flashing across my screen in, in my office, in, uh, in my surgical practice. And uh, I, I felt at that point the Lord was saying, uh, you need to go. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was the beginning of uh, the saga. Yeah. And when you went, you thought it was just to be of temporary medical assistance there. Am I correct? That's right. We were very fortunate in that we were able to uh, work in a hospital that was donated to us uh, by a friend. Who, the hospital had ne- never been outfitted, so it was built but never had any equipment in it. So we were able to uh, acquire uh, equipment. Uh, in our peak, we had about 160 doctors working there and around four or 500 nurses. And so it was quite a quite a place. It was on the Dominican border, actually. So we had electricity and running water and all those things you'd like to have in a surgical hospital. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we treated tens of thousands of individuals uh, performing surgery on these people uh, that who, who had been injured in the earthquake. Mm-hmm. Uh, there for about six weeks initially, and um, then uh, we realized that we were in for a longer-term commitment. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I'll say because, uh, well, tell me what that longer-term commitment involves now at this point. You, you, you uh, sold your home and decided to move to Haiti. That's right. And and what we did, actually, that first three years after the earthquake, uh, we would close my my practice, my medical practice, every month for a week. And we would leave, uh, we would lead uh, medical teams to Haiti. And so we did that for three years, every single month. And uh, then at the end of that period, uh, we felt like the Lord was calling us to then sell everything, house, furniture, you know, everything that uh, that we had that didn't really fit in our backpack, we sort of tongue-in-cheek say, <laughs> and, uh, and we moved to Haiti. And it was an absolutely uh, polar opposite experience than our previous life living in Brentwood, Tennessee. Yeah, I bet. Well, you founded a ministry called Live Beyond, and I love the title, and I, I love the way that it just intersects with everything that is you and everything the Lord is doing through you today. So talk to me about Live Beyond. What is it? Well, Live Beyond, you know, it's a great title. Uh, actually, my wife came up with that, and it shows the difference between uh, us as a couple. Uh, the official name of the company is Mobile Medical Disaster Relief, and I came up with that name. Uh, she said, that wouldn't inspire anybody. I said, <laughs> right, but everybody knows exactly what you do. We do mobile medical disaster relief. Mm-hmm. But, uh, of course, we uh, then added on as a DBA, uh, live beyond in 2012. And, of course, that is that is an aspirational uh, title. And, and the, the background to it is that if we as Americans, as Westerners, can live beyond ourselves, then others may be able to live. And so that's sort of the foundation. We have so much excess in in the West. It's just unbelievable the excess that we have, especially in contrast to the absolute abject poverty uh, that is in places like Haiti. 
you know, we have no poverty that even compares to Haiti. In fact, uh, the poorest people here in the United States would be uh, just admirably rich in Haiti. And so people don't really understand uh, the the difference. But if we can share what we have, uh, which is a great biblical principle, uh, that uh, that people can actually live. Right. Yeah, I, I've been privileged to minister in a number of countries around the world from time to time, but my wife and I visited Haiti in 2014, and it was an experience unlike any other. I just, when I came home from Haiti after being ex, uh, exposed to that poverty you speak of, I was numb. I really was numb. I, I, I was just shocked by what I saw there. How do you, how do you live in those circumstances day after day? Well, you know, it's very difficult. And so, in, in Haiti, really, there's no electrical grid to speak of. There is a little bit of electricity, but it's it's on and off. There's really no uh, clean water distribution in Haiti um, and, and no real sewage control uh, in the country. And so, our particular area is an extremely impoverished area even in Haiti. And so we not wow. only went to Haiti, but we went to one of the poorest areas in Haiti <laughs> and they have none of this. And so the, most of the population live in a mud hut, perhaps a tin hut. And these people live like people did thousands of years ago. Uh, you know, it's just amazing um, how this close to our border, they live like this. And so we bought 63 acres there and uh, we went in and built a guest house um, a hospital, a school, uh, and uh, a program for the disabled. And when we did this, we realized that we were going to have to have uh, more horsepower behind the base than Haiti offered. So we built uh, an, an electrical grid that's based off of solar power. So we're completely solar powered. Uh, we have uh, clean water uh, running through faucets, just like we, we do here in the States, almost just like that, not quite. <laughs> and then we treat our own sewage. And so we have uh, quite a few, um, people would say comforts, but this is what makes it really work mm -hmm. and work at a level uh, that really blesses people. So mm -hmm. we're able to run the hospital 24 seven. Uh, the school, we actually have internet. And so the children are able to learn via video conferencing uh, from the states. Uh, our doctors and nurses actually get continuing medical education via uh, video conferencing from the United States. And so we operate at a much higher level uh, than we could without those basic necessities. And all of this uh, it almost goes without saying because I know, I, I know you from reading your book, but all of this is done in the name of Christ. That's what motivates you. Absolutely. You know, our picture of Jesus is that he uh, was wealthy, that he had all of the cattle on a thousand hills, that he had the riches of heaven, uh, that it was it was innumerable. Absolutely. You know, we can't even imagine the wealth that he had, that he had the ultimate security, that no one could bother him in heaven, that he was completely uh, protected. And yet he left that and he lived here on earth as a poor man. Mm -hmm. He was very poor. He didn't even have a, a place to lay his head. He didn't even have a home. And so he lived a lot like the Haitians do, 
right now. And so that's sort of an interesting thing that he valued human life, uh, eternal human life, but as, as well human life that's, that's here on earth so much that he left his riches and that he became poor himself and he, takes, he took care of people. And we believe that one of the greatest ways to spread the gospel is to take pe- care of people's physical needs first. Uh, when those physical needs are met, they are very curious about why you're there and what your motivations are. And we have people come to the Lord in droves. It's just amazing uh, the number of people who have uh, proclaimed faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior uh, just in the eight years that we've been there. We'll continue to get to know this medical doctor whom God has called to the country of Haiti coming up on First Person. Stay with us. I'm Ed Cannon. The Far East Broadcasting Company partners with First Person because we celebrate the stories of people everywhere who have given their lives to Christ and serve Him. Our broadcasters in 50 countries of the world hear stories every day of people whose lives are transformed by the gospel and who have faithfully been taught God's Word. In addition to First Person, I'm pleased that Wayne and I host a podcast, and we invite you to join us. Listen to Until All Have Heard at febc.org. That's febc.org. My guest is Dr. David Vanderpool. His book is Live Beyond, A Radical Call to Surrender and Serve. We're talking about this ministry in the country of Haiti. It is a dangerous place, and I do want to acknowledge that at the time of this conversation, there are still missionaries being held captive by a terrorist group there in Haiti. Some have been released as of this recording, some have not, and certainly we pray for their safe return, but that just points out that you're you're serving in a difficult environment there. It really is dangerous, and, and people, I think short-term missionaries who come down to Haiti uh, frequently, high school students, uh, it, it's truly amazing uh, the danger that they expose themselves to without really even knowing it. Uh, we hear people all the time say, well, I've been to Haiti a dozen times and nothing ever happened. Uh, and I usually will say something like, well, you're going to die. And that have, hasn't happened to you yet either. <laughs> and so it's <laughs> not very good logic. Yeah. Uh, but it is an extremely dangerous place. And it's gotten much more so recently. Um, the president was assassinated uh, in July. Uh, the Supreme Court uh, chief justice died about two weeks before he did. Parliament had been disbanded in January of 2020. And so all three branches of government are completely dysfunctional at this point. And unfortunately, that void has been filled uh, by gangs, and they presently control an estimated 60% of the country. Uh, There's some 150 gangs in Haiti, three of which are predominant, and uh, these, these particular gangs are uh, very vile, very violent, uh, and do a lot of damage. We've experienced this damage firsthand, and the violence uh, perpetrated against us uh, has been pretty fierce. Uh, and so that's a, it's something that people need to take into account. Well, I'm sure you take all the precautions, and we certainly pray for your safety and all those who work with you, whether they are missionaries or Haitians themselves. So I want you to tell me some of the stories. Tell me some of the ways that you see God at work there through your ministry, Live Beyond in Haiti. You have such exciting stories to tell. It's time to share some of those, Doctor. 
you know, that, that's always the hardest question because there's so many. I mean, the, the stories just sort of roll off the tongue. Uh, you know, it's 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 things like, you know, the, the life-changing events that take place for people. So, I think of one lady uh, who's named Berlene, and Berlene is a wonderful person. You would absolutely love her. She's very winsome, very friendly, uh, very warm. And she would come to, she, she works for us. So we hire, we have about a hundred employees there and she would come to church and we knew she wasn't a believer and she would weep and weep and weep and just say, I want to believe in Jesus, but I just can't. And, uh, you know, we knew that she was a prostitute when we hired her. We knew that. And, um, and we just thought, well, it's the prostitution, the extra money that she's talking about. And so this went on for months and months and months and months. And one, one day on Friday, she said, I'm going to come to church on Sunday and I'm, I'm going to turn my life over to Jesus. Well, she had said that several times and it hadn't happened, you know, so we sort of, you know, smiled and winked and, you know, said, well, we'll see you Sunday, you know, but not really very certain that she would come. And Sunday she showed up and, you know, at the end of the sermon, she came forward and in Haiti, uh, they confessed their sins in front of everybody. Of course, most of the men knew her sins, uh, particularly, uh, but uh, because something that we don't do in the United, in the United States much anymore. But uh, so she was she was she was confessing her sins. We had an American group down there, and I was translating for her, you know, as she was as she was speaking. And so she gets up and and she said, "Well, you know, as you know, I'm I'm, I'm a prostitute and I'm giving up prostitution." She said, but she said something I didn't know. And she said, but I'm the temple cult prostitute for the local voodoo temple. Oh, goodness. I didn't know that piece, yeah. you know. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's pretty similar, but that was a big deal. And she said, the, the, the voodoo priest said he would kill me if I left a voodoo and became a Christian. Mm. And so she said, today I'm going to die. Oh. Wow. And, and she meant that. Literally, yeah. um, we baptized her. She came up out of the water and was transformed. I mean, the the smile on her face was just hasn't stopped. I and mean, this has been probably five years ago. She never misses an opportunity to come to worship. The voodoo priest actually died himself. Uh, she didn't mm. die, and she's been an absolute uh, transformation for her community. And, and that's just one example of how people have come from the evils and the darkness of uh, the kingdom of Satan yeah. uh, and then transferred their lives to Jesus in a dramatic way. Yeah, I didn't realize you were going to tell that story. I did want to ask you about encountering the spiritual darkness there. It's very real, isn't it? This is something oh, that you encounter every day, I would imagine. Every day, it doesn't play well in the United States, <laughs> yeah. so we sometimes we have to watch uh, the stories we tell. Uh, but she was demon possessed, and uh, she, when she was baptized, came out of the water and and was obvious that the demon was gone. And uh, you know, I know a lot of people don't believe in that. We see it on a regular basis, both in Africa and Haiti and places we work. And so it's it's not a question, you know, for us anymore. Yeah. We see things like that all the time. Mm. You know, it's just amazing. Another woman who uh is, is is just a great story. Her name is Maisie. And Maisie was a, a, a voodoo priestess and she wore a red hat band, which is a sign of being a voodoo priestess. And she actually actually walked through fire 
to worship Satan. And that was the way the voodoo priestess would do that. And she had these horrific burns uh, to her legs. And I'm a trauma surgeon. And so um, we were actually, this was when we were coming down for a week, a month uh, with medical team. She came in. My wife, Laurie, actually uh, was her first encounter. She was running the wound clinic. My wife was. And Maisie comes in with these absolutely horrific burns on her feet and and uh, and legs. And so my wife, Laurie, calls me over and we start treating Maisie. And my wife asks if she can pray for Maisie. And Maisie adamantly shook her head. No, she wants to have nothing to do with Christianity. She did want the healing of her legs. That was definitely part of the equation, but she did not want Jesus. And so this happened month after month, after month, after month, after year, after year, we saw Maisie, we hired Maisie. She actually worked on our base. And uh, one day she came forward and uh, gave her life to Jesus. We baptized her. She was transformed uh, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light in the twinkling of an eye. Um, and, you know, she was abandoned by her voodoo uh, associates. You know, they all uh, abandoned her. The Christians didn't trust her. They saw her legs. I mean, they were obviously burned. And uh, it was a lot like uh, Paul in his early days. You know, her reputation preceded her. Mm -hmm. And so she was really outcast by both groups. And it took a while for that to, to come around. Uh, but uh, Maisie was transformed. She actually had a a little boy uh, named named little boy David, in fact, and uh, uh, and a little girl named after my daughter Jacqueline. Oh. And those two children were her first children that were born into Christianity. And so these two children, you know, had that wonderful legacy of having their mother uh, as a believer, born into a Christian home. Well, wonderful stories. You've mentioned the medical work. You mentioned a school. Um, and, and I would imagine there's feeding program and any regrets as you look back on giving up a successful practice of surgery in this country and the comfortable life in Tennessee and going to Haiti, any regrets? <laughs> you know, the only regret I have is that we didn't do it earlier. Uh, you know, it, it's so amazing. Um, you, you know, there, this is, this is a little funny. Um, you know, we sold everything we had and, and we had, we sold our land, we sold our home, everything and, um, had no credit card. And so we come back to the States when, after the, uh, you know, the pandemic hit and there was all the violence and applied for, uh, a rent to rent a, a house. And I had no credit, none. It, it wasn't that I had bad credit. I didn't exist. They said, we don't see you on any record. Well, I, I had, I had run three companies, you know, in my day, you know, I was a successful surgeon. They said, you don't exist. I literally. And so after eight years, apparently you're completely wiped off the rolls. And so there is a downside sort of uh, to that, but you know, it's the thing, the liberation of not having material things is just almost more than I can emphasize. And I, we had everything. I mean, we, we, we had we, nice vacations. We had a, a nice little farm in Southern Tennessee, all this stuff, as, as much stuff as you could have. We don't miss any of that. It's, you know, it's not that it's not easy, but, you know, the being liberated from all those, uh, the finances, the, uh, and the material uh, nature of things, uh, we can truly say we're, we're not materialistic. And, and we couldn't say that before. Absolutely. 
absolutely could not say that. And we really don't value things anymore, you know, which is is a is a very, very liberating uh, situation. It's a little hard to describe, especially to an American culture, but it's it's very true. <laughs> this is an amazing story of God reorienting his life to serve the people of Haiti. Our guest has been Dr. David Vanderpool, and we'll place a link to his book titled Live Beyond, A Radical Call to Surrender and Serve at FirstPersonInterview.com. These conversations take place weekly, and anytime you cannot listen on radio, you can always listen on our website or even subscribe for automatic downloads of the podcast. And bringing you these weekly interviews is made possible by the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company because the stories of lives changed by Christ are celebrated by all of us and FEBC wants you to rejoice at the stories of people turning to Christ wherever FEBC's programs are heard. More at febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person. First Person.